Thank you, Nikos. I just wrote this down uh, yesterday, I think it was, a quote here by Warren Wiersbe, and it goes along with that song and thought. He says, you cannot change the past, but the past can change you, either for better or for worse. It all depends on how you look at it. The past can be a rudder that guides you or an anchor that hinders you. So leave your past mistakes with God and look to the future by faith. Isn't that good? 1 Samuel 3, and Brother Cherry, um, you do have the right slides and we'll, we'll get there. I, I want us to get into uh, some help, some practical things. And practical always, if it's going to be um, profitable, still has to come from the powerful, that is the authority of God's Word. But I, I, we live in a day where around us, as we keep saying, all around us is not getting better and it's not getting better as far as practically every situation. And we don't get a lot of hope or good help really outside the Bible any place when it comes to a lot of things. The home, our marriage, and even parenting. Our theme is experiencing God in my heart and in my home. And I wouldn't be helping if I didn't venture into the area of parenting because if we say we experience God in our heart, but it doesn't translate into the home, then we're not experiencing the same God of the same Bible who created the home and created the church and created the government. And so we want to be careful and not miss some things that, that God has for us that can help us. In 1 Samuel chapter number 3, we have a contrast here in this passage between Samuel, whom God is raising up to minister and, and be that priest, and Eli, who is a backslidden priest. Samuel ministered as a young boy before the Lord under the guidance of Eli. And at that time was a unique time, not a good time, because God wasn't speaking to his people very often. The spiritual leaders were corrupt. Now listen to me. God's people were not obeying His law anyway. So why should God say anything new to them if they were not obeying what He had already given to them? It was a tragic day in Israel when the living God would no longer do miracles and give prophetic messages to His people. In fact, the silence of God was indeed the judgment of God. But God was about to change that. And he was going to speak his precious word to a young boy who would listen and obey. I never minimize watching these young people because I see the young person in 1 Samuel chapter number 3. I'm not going to read through this concerning Samuel but you remember the story, Samuel there, he was, his mom was one who prayed and, and, and fasted and believed that God uh, could give her a child and, and looked upon, God looked upon her barrenness, but saw her burden and because of her seeking God, he blessed her. I don't know what area you might be barren in tonight. 
Your barrenness may cause a burden. Maybe it's some other spiritual barrenness that you have creates a burden and God cares about your burden. You take it to God and God knows how to bless. And this young man, she said, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. And that, that she did. And, and here he is and he hears a voice and he comes to Eli and says, did you call me? He said, I didn't call you. Go back to sleep. And, and he came again and I heard you called me. And Eli said, I didn't call you. But though he was dense to the sound of the, the, the voice of God, he was beginning to put together, that's not me calling, that must be God. And he gave him instruction. And if, and if God calls, you say, uh, here am I and uh, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. And that's what happened. In verses 1 through 9 of 1 Samuel 3, you'll find that Samuel has an attentive ear. That's why it is important that in our nursery we're starting helping the kids learn how to listen, learn to, 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 to understand we come to church. This isn't daycare. This isn't play care. And we can take a moment in time for a, a diversion, but ultimately we want to help you as parents in the home and translate into coming to church is to have an attentive ear to God. An obedient will you find in verses 10 through 14. He has an obedient will. But in verse 15 through 18, you see that Samuel has a humble heart. And the first message that Samuel's going to deliver as God's prophet was one of judgment. He's going to preach a message on judgment on Eli and his family for his son's sins and for Eli's failure to stop them. Notice in verse number 11. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel at which both the ears of everyone that heareth it shall tingle. And that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin... I will also make an end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile. And notice the phrase, and he restrained them not. When God begins that work of cleaning house, he says, I want to start it and I want to finish it. It's very important that we experience God in our heart and in our home. The message of Samuel consisted of the announcement that God promised to remove Eli's family from the priesthood and that's what happened. It was an announcement so shocking that it would cause the ears of the people to ring like a hammer blows on a bell. And the reason we just read is explicitly stated that Eli's sons were so wicked and so vile, they don't have time to go into their wickedness, and Eli, the priest, knew it, but he failed to restrain them. Eli's house was judged. And listen, ultimately, if we want to back up and say, yes, it was a failure to restrain them, but ultimately, Eli's problem was 
what we cannot afford to let be our problem, and that is Eli's house was judged because he didn't listen to God. We preached this morning on the matter of spending time in the Word of God daily. It's important to have God's Word. It's more important to hear God's Word. It's even of greater importance to heed God's Word. And Eli's house, instead of experiencing revival, is being judged because he failed to hear and to heed God's Word. Often, too often, we look for handwriting in the sky. We look for a special, special message in the milk that we pour into the coffee. We're looking for signs or, or thunderclaps. We look for the, that special sign that tells us God is, is really there and he wants to talk to us. Don't you remember going through and seeing what Henry Blackaby is, is helping us with and experiencing God? We've got to be able to discern and hear his voice. God speaks. God speaks clearly. And we look for images sometimes. We look for a sign that maybe God is speaking. We look for an image of Jesus to show up in our pancake. We look for something that may show up like, looking like Mary in our toast and and it may be true that, that he does sometimes communicate in ways like that, though he's not obligated, but he has obligated himself, not speaking to us through the clouds in the sky. In reality, God's wonderfully diverse in how he speaks, but a key way that God has chosen to speak to us is recorded in the Bible, which we hold. And the book of Samuel is all about God speaking. In fact, the entire book is a message given to his people so that they would not just have his word, but hear his word, but ultimately to heed his word. In other words, God does speak today and he speaks through scripture. And if we fail to listen to the scripture that we have contained, why would God overlook our disobedience when he was so serious that he removed the entire line and lineage of Eli from the priesthood because of his failure? Samuel, however, heard God's voice. Samuel heard God's voice because God really does speak. God longs for us to hear his voice. Samuel, here's a beautiful picture of a little boy, Samuel, responding to God's voice saying, Speak, for your servant is listening. Sometimes our ears are unable to hear him. That was true of Eli. God is speaking to a little boy and then a, an old uh, Eli preacher who is not finishing well, he couldn't hear God. That's why God can speak to somebody in your pew and experience salvation or revival even and just completely pass you by and you can't figure out what all's going on and you minimize it for being just fluff and stuff when the truth is you have developed the same, the same syndrome as Eli and that is a dullness in your ears. Your ears are stopped up. Eli could not hear God's voice because he had allowed his heart to get cold and his ears to grow dull. 
Perhaps God spoke to Eli over and over with no response even from the priest to the point that Eli's ears were covered from the voice of God. It took him a number of times to recognize that Yahweh was the one speaking to Samuel. In 1 Samuel 1, Eli thought Hannah, Samuel's mom, was drunk when she was at the prayer time there in the, in the, in the uh, temple and, and she's uh, um, worshiping, but, but he, he thinks she's drunk. And she has to tell him, I'm not drunk. I'm just burdened to see God move in my life. He was so backslidden, he couldn't even discern the move of God. I believe there are Eli's among us. You don't even discern the move of God and where God's moving. Eli could not hear God very well. Many today are like Eli. I just don't hear him. I just don't see him. Well, tell me about your time with God. Well, you know, well, well there you go. I, I, I have a, a, a measure of sympathy, even though you may not think so, and it's not very kind of you to disagree but I, I do have a measure of, maybe I shouldn't say sympathy. No, you're right. I don't have a lot of sympathy there. But I do have some understanding. I mean, life is so loud with phones and television and iPods and iPads and music and work, all kinds of noises. It can be difficult to discern, to discern the still, small voice of God. However, just because we may not hear God speaking right now does not mean that there is no God. And it does not mean God does not speak. Eli's deafness to the voice of God and the blindness to the vision of God is not a reflection on the lack of God's presence and working. Rather, it's a reflection on the blindness and the deafness indicating his spiritual state. It wasn't experiencing God. Well, I tell you, if you're a parent, a would-be parent, which parent would not want a, a child like Samuel? What parent who really has a heart for God and a heart for their children would look at this and say, I don't want to parent like Eli. I don't want children like Eli's sons. And in order for us to, to be the parents that, that experience God in our heart and in our home, we have to understand the danger of knowing what is wrong with our children and knowing something's wrong, but verse 13 not restraining them. Fire is good when it's in the fireplace. Water is good when it's in the ocean. But when something is excessive, fire out of control is deadly. Water out of control, a tsunami is deadly. Children being unique, being individualistic is good. Not being restrained is deadly. Would you take your Bible and go over to Proverbs chapter 22 and 
And this is where I want to launch in and watching the time, very mindful of the time. Proverbs chapter 22, a verse that every parent knows or should know. Proverbs 22 and verse number 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. This verse is, in fact, a promise. It's a great revival promise. This verse is saying a lot of things that ought to be a help to us and benefit to us. But this verse, for many, has been pushed aside and, and has been treated unlike any other promise or proverbs given to us because of the failure, the disappointment. Some would say this is such a discouragement to hear the message that, that I'm presenting to us and we're going to go into and, and spend as many weeks as we need to be here on this because they say that our kids are, are grown or our kids are older and, and they didn't turn out for the Lord. And, and, and all this does is just, it just rubs salt into a wound. But there's no intention of making anybody feel bad. In fact, the truth will always liberate a person. When somebody says, and, 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 and I've heard preaching and I've heard the preaching before I was ever married and, and remember being taught this and from different ones that said, no, this doesn't say if you train up a child in the way he should go, he'll not depart from it. That's not what he's saying. And I would think, but well, that is what he said. And they would say, well, no, what he's saying is you do the right thing. You do the best you can. And, and there it is. Remember sitting there saying, well, there what is? You know, they may go away, but they're going to come back. And I hadn't took Hebrew yet, and I remember saying, I don't see that in there. And I remember looking over years of time, whenever a preacher would say, this isn't really a promise, it's a proverb. What does that do with the rest of the book? Everyone who took a different view of this, in my observation, they had children that did depart. Let me remind you, to ever put your experience above the Bible is not orthodox. To ever look at the Bible and say my experience does not match up to it. But it must not mean what it says because it's just not in my life. That's dead orthodoxy. 
What we want to do is take what the Bible says and let our life fall where it may because as we saw this morning, the Word of God, it'll tell us what's right and, and tells us what's wrong, tells us how to get right and tells us how to stay right. The key to this is not here, he's not speaking, listen, he's not speaking, well, here's the question, to whom is he speaking? To whom is he speaking? Look at it, let me read it, and you help me with the answer. Train up a child in the way he should go. To whom is he speaking? All right, parents, but let me, let me ask you to be more specific. Is he referring to those who's, par who's parented for a long time? The children are older and grown and they're gone, but they've departed. They're not in church anymore. Is he talking to those parents? No. He says, train up right now today a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. So the fact is you may have had some failures in your life. Your kids may not have turned out the way God says they should turn out. But this is not meant to, to uh, bring a, a, affliction to you because he's not talking to you. But you do want to know truth and you do want to get on God's side of it. But he's talking to those parents who have children right now to whom they are to train up. In Psalm 127, verse 3 and 4, I think it will help give us a little bit of an analogy. It says, Lo, children are an, are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As a child, I always thought he was talking about the fruit of the loom, but um, it's not that. And, and uh, fruit of the womb <laughs> is his reward. And so I shouldn't have thrown that out there until because it will stick in my mind and somehow, so I need to get off of this one. As, so, as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. And so this is a picture. It's an analogy to help us understand what he's saying in Proverbs 22 and verse number 6. Although it's an analogy, it helps us visualize. You take these children that are like arrows, and the arrow is in the hand of the archer, and he can put that arrow there in the bow, and he can draw it back, and he can release it, and when he releases that arrow where it lands is it out of his control well no because where it lands is where he guided it while I can't follow along at lightning speed blowing on the arrow to go this way or that way and coaxing it and coaching it what I can do is be very careful as I aim it and how I release it. Golf is another one, though the Bible doesn't talk about golf, but it'd be much the same way. Where a ball lands, does it have any bearing upon how it was hit? Yeah, multiplied millions of dollars are spent so people can learn how to perfect a swing because it makes a, it's never random. Somebody thinks, well, as hard as I can hit it, I'm going to knock it out of the park. You might, but it may not land where it ought to land. And God is giving us this analogy to help us understand Proverbs 22 and verse number 6. Child training is the most obviously neglected element in raising children today. Actually, intentional and purposeful training is the most neglected element today. Why? 
Well, the truth is every day through every social interaction with our children, we are training them in ways either good or bad. By what we allow or we do not allow, we're conditioning and building habits and character traits into the lives of our children. The question is not if we're training, but how are we training? Sometimes the question may even be, who is training who? It's important that we all see that this verse says, train up. Train up is the idea of initiating a person or getting him off to a good start. In Proverbs 22 and verse 6, the, uh, the, the Hebrew language, it tells us if we start a child on the right path, they will, as Don and Laura saying, they will finish well. They will. That's the promise of Proverbs 22, 6. Proverbs has much to say about the way or path of a young per, that a young person follows. All throughout the book of Proverbs, over and over and over, speaking of the good path, the good way, the paths of judgment. The verse says, if you train them right, children will turn out right. This verse is not without controversy and questions. But one of the most encouraging and helpful verses in the Bible has become one of the most controversial among Christians in our day. People are saying that it does not mean that godly parents can train a child to turn out right, even though that is exactly what it says. It has been asserted that while Proverbs 22, 6 does present a valid principle, it really doesn't contain a promise. You know, God's reputation is at stake. Preachers, kids that have gone astray can illustrate that it's not a promise. Children of godly parents have gone astray. Well, the thought that the principle is good, but there are no guarantees, that's kind of empty, isn't it? It's kind of hollow. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, but it doesn't really mean that. Does not every valid principle contain a certain degree of promise? So I don't know, i got to think about it. Well, you think about it, but it's true. Every valid Bible principle contains a certain degree of promise. Let me give you an example. Proverbs 22, verse 8. He that soweth iniquity shall reap vanity, and the rod of his anger shall fail. Well, that's the same thing in Galatians 6, 7 through 9. Be not deceived, God's not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of his flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life, life everlasting. Since you reap what you sow is a valid principle, can we not expect that sowing to the Spirit will eventually bring a good harvest and sowing to the flesh will bring a bad harvest? In other words, a promise, principle, same thing. I'm going on and on. I've got several examples. I just, I, I, I want us to get it. I want you to think through this and mold through this and over the next couple of weeks. A parent dedicates or instructs or trains a child in a given path so that later when the child is away from his parents, that child is still going the same way he did when he was at home or in the bow. Let me give you a few thoughts here. If Proverbs 22 and verse 6 does not mean what it says, then the verse basically says nothing. 
I don't know how else to go about it. If it does not mean what it says, then we've relegated it to basically a fortune cookie. And I'm getting fed up with my fortune cookies as of late. A couple of weeks ago, I opened up one, it was empty. I took my kids when they weren't looking and it too was empty. I took the other ones and, and it said, work hard. Work hard, that's not a fortune. It's preaching. I, I don't need preaching, I needed a fortune cookie. All right. Proverbs 22 and verse 6 is not a fortune cookie tidbit. Number two, this verse is not saying that children who have gone away from the intended path their parents laid out for them will always return. It does not say that. You say, don't you think that if kids go astray, they can return? Well, that's what revival is for, but it's not guaranteed here. It does not say that. It doesn't say that your kids who go away, oh, someday, it doesn't say that. You check it with your Hebrew, you check it with your English, you can do some gymnastics to get to what you think, but I'm telling you, what you think is not the authority, what I think is not the authority. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's what he says. Number three. If Proverbs 22 and verse 6 is only a general promise and doesn't really mean anything, then what do you do with companion passages that seem to say otherwise? In other words, if we're saying Proverbs 22 and verse 6 is just a general promise, you do the best you can and you'll have a better chance at seeing your kids turn out. But if it's only a general promise and it doesn't really mean anything, then what do you do with other companion promises that seem to nullify that? Such as Proverbs 19 verse 18, that should be on the screen. Chasten thy son while there is hope and let not thy soul spare for his crying. Well, let me ask you a question. Why should a parent chasten his son if there's no expectation that it will work? What it says is, I don't care how loud the child cries or how long the child cries. I don't care what the child cries. Their crying should not be a stoppage to chastening. Are you with me? Amen. Better yet, are you with God? Amen. Proverbs 19, verse 20. Hear counsel and receive instruction that thou mayest be wise in thy letter in. Hear. One is to receive advice, counsel, and instruction of chastisement. Why? So that he will act wisely in the future. There's another one, Proverbs 21, verse 11. When the scorner is punished, the simple is made wise. And when the wise is instructed, he receiveth knowledge. Let me ask you a question. Do you think instruction and punishment work? According to this verse, they obviously do. How about Proverbs 23, verse 13 through 14? Withhold not correction from the child. For if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. Let me ask you, does correction work or is it ineffective? God says, chances are they'll burn in hell by you not correcting them because when you don't correct on a consistent basis, you're teaching them how they ought to hear and respond to God. 
And if you don't mean it and mama doesn't mean it, then why should they think God means it whom they have not seen? Proverbs 29, 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. So if a child left to himself brings shame to his parents, then a child who is corrected or disciplined comes to wisdom. How about Ephesians 6 and verse 4? And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. We'll get to that in another Sunday, but what does he mean by provoking not your children to wrath? Let me give you an example. Don't do that again. You do that again, you're going to get it. I said don't do it again. Didn't I tell you not to do that again? Didn't you hear? You do it one more time. Well, how old are they, sir? You're talking to a 25-year-old? You're provoking them to wrath. Do you know when God means it? Let there be light and the universe said, I don't think he means it. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now let me say, or ask you this question. Why should a father bring up his children with teaching and discipline with consistency if there's no hope for it to work? Of course, Paul says it works. How about Hebrews 12 and verse 11? Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Does chastening yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness? Does it? God says so. This verse is clear in stating that it does. Here's another thought. If a child is dedicated to a certain trodden path, that's the idea of tramp a child in the way he should go. And the way he should go is this trodden path. It's, it's a trodden, tried and true path. If a child is dedicated to a certain trodden path and if he is trained by his parents, let me give you three questions to ask. If you have children right now, question number one, where's my child right now? Relevant to the desired trodden path. Where are they? Right? How are they? How are they? You said, well, they're not, they're not in school. They're not very old. Well, let me ask you. Do they understand ice cream? Come on. Amen. Do they understand their favorite toy? Then they understand no. Right. Amen. Adam and Eve had severe consequences of which you and I have been affected by because they didn't understand everything that they wanted to understand, but they understood no. And they disregarded it. See, this question will help with perspective. Where's your three-year-old in respect to the trodden path? Where's your seven-year-old? In regards to the trodden path. Where's your nine-year-old? I have a, a nine, a seven, and six. And so I, I ask, where are they in respect, in, in relation to the trodden path? At this moment, if you have children, everyone who has children in the home, raise your hand. Don't think about the future for just a moment. Think about the process. Focus on your process. 
you know, we can look at those playing and they can sit and get discouraged because they're not where they want to be. But what we're telling them is focus on the process. The process will work and we're seeing it work. Think about where your child is right now. Number two question, where was my child? Now this can help provide some comfort. It could provide some discomfort. But how is your child progressing? You had a bad day today. Listen, don't, don't ever, don't ever, parent, don't you ever apologize for having to deal with your child. Don't, don't ever do that. You know, I've got, I, I, I wish, I know I don't, but I'd say, you know, I wish one of our kids were, were followers. They're all leaders, but, but they're going to get heavier doses of, of discipline. And, and it's just the nature of we're in the process. We're in that training process. Are they where they ought to be? Well, relative to the trodden path, I have to keep analyzing that and seeing where they are. I have to measure where were they. And then the third question is, where's my child going to be? But I can't necessarily determine where they're going to be if I do not understand where they are at this moment. And no parent who puts their head in the sand is fit to be a parent and will never have their kids turn out for God on purpose and deliberate. If they do turn out, it'll not be because of the parents. You don't, you cannot afford to put your head in the sand and bury your head in the sand and say, well, we have our way. It's a way that may seem right unto you, but the end thereof are going to be the ways of death and separation and destruction. But why not go with the ways of God? And God is not talking about parenting. Everybody has a parenting philosophy. God's talking about his way of parenting. Where's your child right now? Where was your child? Do you see the progress? Don't don't analyze everything based upon where they are today. Look at where they were. Look at where they've come along. And are they doing better than what they were last month? How's the progress? And where's your child going? If your child was where he should have been and is now where he should be, do you know what Proverbs 22, 6 says? They will be where they should be. If your child was where he should have been and is now where he should be, then he will be where he should be in the future. The opposite is also true. What if you don't have children yet? Can you still see the trajectory that your children will have? Well, sure. Look and see how you're responding to God. You quit on God, you're going to teach your children to quit on God. We teach more by what we do than what we say. A lot of parenting is this way. Don't you listen to what I do. You hear what I say. And your kids are saying, huh? What? You do what I... And they may do what you say so that they can get more ice cream. But in fact, you're teaching them, you can still get by by being like us. Let me give you some few observations here. Training up a child in the way. Training up. Training, not, not just being a parent. Every, everyone in here understands the idea. It's, it's different being a dad and a father. Being a parent and training up are two different things. 
in, in the way we interpret it. It ought to be the same. But training up, it is important. It is highly important. I, I, it's not even worded well. It is so astronomically important. The second observation is discipline, it does work. You say, I, I, I seem like my kids need more discipline than, than other kids. Then give it to them. It works. They seem like they're getting worse. It's not because of giving them too much discipline. It's because of being inconsistent with the discipline. Again, I'm just just as just cursory, just just glossing over this. We're going to go into this at a later time, but doesn't. The Bible tells us if you love them, if you really love them, who are you to question? I'm not. God is. If you love them, you're not going to be inconsistent in that area. Oh, isn't that cute? Look at them just flopping around. No, not to God it's not. It may be cute at 2 and 3 and 4 and 5, but I'm telling you it starts to become heartbreaking at 8 and 9 and 10, 11 and 12 and 13 and 14 and 15. It will rip your heart out. Discipline, however, God says it does work. You go through. You do your Bible study. Next thought is personal responsibility is key. You take responsibility. You look at society and you say, take responsibility. And God says, judgment begins in the house of God. We've got to take responsibility. Now, someone asked, well, aren't there pitfalls? Can't you go to extremes on this matter? Aren't there ditches you can go into? And the answer is yes, yes, and yes. Well, what are the pitfalls? I'm not going to go into those because you recognize that there's pitfalls you can fall into. That's not going to help us. We're not trying to give us, we, we don't need wiggle room. We need more Bible truth to bring us to a place of taking God's sight. But I want to say where there may be extremes and ditches that do exist, the key, however, is love, commitment, and consistency. It'll avoid those extremes. Another thought, training Training up, training does bring right living righteousness. We often live under the misguided idea that while parents may be able to teach mechanics, may be able to teach sportsmanship to their kids, you'll never be able to teach righteousness. Let me mention a verse we just looked at already. Proverbs 23, verse 13 through 14. Withhold not correction from the child. For if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. What do you think he, what, 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 what is the deep mystery there? What is that deep hidden secret in this passage? Physical correction and instruction. That's really no mystery. He tells it to us pretty plain. Amen. Physical correction, instruction, it results, in, it results in spiritual benefits. The Lord says, if I will properly train my children, they will wind up on the right path in life 
the correct spiritual, mental, emotional direction. It is saying that they will, will be on that trodden path and training up is like putting up fences. I'm putting up a fence. My five-year-old, my six-year-old, my seven-year-old, my nine-year-old, I remind them they're not smart enough. They are not smart enough to tell me how to parent. They are not smart enough to make the right decision. In every, they're not smart enough on what they should eat. They're not smart enough as to how late they should stay up. They're not smart enough in all these areas. Areas. But what we're doing is we're putting fences up and we're teaching them how to think and we're teaching them a Bible principle with this and we're teaching them how to think. And as we put up a fence and they're staying on that trodden path and they'll try to go out and they'll try to, to, to go this way, they'll try to go backwards, they'll try to plop down and they'll have a, a, a fit and we have a time and we have a revival time together and we put up some more fences up and so that when they are old, as the arrow is released from my hand, I can't journey with that arrow anymore. But you know what they will do according to Proverbs 22 and verse 6? They will continue to put their own fences up. And they're going to put their fences up. And when they come across crisis and times of ma major decision, they're going to say, I know what God can do. I saw what God can do. And I know it does no good to try to go this way and this way. It doesn't do any good to plop down and have a, a spastic fit and have a meltdown. It doesn't do any good to run away from God because where can I go but where God can find me? If God can send a well after Jonah, uh, one of his preachers, God can find me anywhere. So what I ought to do is just stay on this trodden path and I'll put a fence up here and a fence up there and one day God will bring the mate that he has for them as they find that mate in God's way, God's will without any heartaches, regrets or bruises, the right time the right way and then if Lord blesses them with children they'll say there is an old timeless trodden path and it still works and they're going to help put up those fences there and the arrow of our family tree can follow the trajectory of the blessed man. It's not an accident. It's not automatic. Train up a child. It's the hardest thing you're ever going to do probably. But it's the most rewarding thing. The greatest missionaries are not over in a foreign country. But it's the moms and dads who are trying to train up their children. And the way they should go. And the promise is they will not. They will not depart from it that's a promise if it's not you have to question John 3 16 let's stand together please